0: So Jennifer, you're next.
1: Okay. I really like the word communication to kind of it seems to cover almost everything that we were we were talking about. Even last time we were talking about how important reading and writing skills are. Even the, the reading, you have to be able to read in order to understand the communication that other people have shared with you. Of course it covers all those interpersonal skills, listening skills, even we mentioned earlier lying that's involved, communication. And then we can uh, foreign language, you mentioned, you teach foreign language, um, but we can even stretch it to math where you have to be able to uh, communicate in numbers if you're building building or whatever. And scientists need to know the language to be able to communicate with each other. So I just like that that seemed to kind of cover everything. But maybe that's too much. Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, Tracy, you're next.
2: Well, and I wanted to respond to um, your discussion on luggage and how if you're talking, everybody is perhaps receiving it differently or taking it in differently. And that's, I, I refer back to Vygotsky who says we have this prior knowledge, we have this schema, and we hear through that filter. And I think that that's all the more reason why we need to have more language because it (coughs) increases the contents of our luggage that we bring, not baggage, which has such a negative connotation, but luggage that we bring to support ourselves wherever we're going. And so I I just wanted to affirm that learning language does build us as people and as listeners, and therefore then as, as communicators. Okay,
0: Linda.
2: Uh, I really have a question um, that's been on my mind for a while, um, and that is, what language when you know two languages, what language do you think in? I'm um,
3: dealing.
2: <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> um, I'm dealing with the child right now.
4: That. Um, <coughs> do you want some water? Let's I drink it. it. <coughs> <coughs> Sure, just sorry,
2: (coughs) (coughs) but um, because he can't get his words out, he uh, is biting as a four year old, and I think it's because he may be thinking in German Mm. and so he can't get the English out to be understood. So, I
5: was wondering if people that. Um, this is my opinion. <laughs> um, you definitely you think in your native language, hands down. Um, and they say it doesn't matter how proficient you get in that second language, you still will always count in your native language. Um, money, um, any kind of counting whatsoever. And they say one of your um, biggest indicators of that you're, that you're becoming more proficient in that second language is if you start to have if you start to dream in that second language and until you dream in your second language you really they don't really consider you to be like extremely extremely proficient but you know dreams counting thinking all are in your native language um i think for your life for your whole life um does he speak english mm-hmm. okay but as a four-year-old he probably has very limited language abilities or no He's very
6: professional. Maybe he just likes to play. <laughs> <coughs> um, I th- I think I've been speaking Spanish for fourteen years probably, wow. and I dream- I do dream in Spanish. Mean Most of the time when I'm abroad, um, as far as thinking in Spanish, when I am I teach an honors class that is all Spanish, so I am thinking in Spanish. But it took me a long time to get to that point. Um, but yeah, I would say even when I'm driving, sometimes there's just, like you were saying, when there's just some things that are, in one language, nicer than the other, there's there's certain things like, oh, my God, doesn't sound as strong to me or, or as, as nice as it does in Spanish. Dios mio. It just There's something about it, I would much rather say that, and I do, even though I'm speaking, it. Just it's crazy, you know, what <laughs> that's what I When I'm mad, there's some things that I learned in Ecuador that, me, <laughs> are a lot stronger than some of the words we so I do, and I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm a native speaker, even close to being that, but I do know that I can think in what, what language, and there's certain things I pick and choose to say in different languages, mm-hmm. just the way it sounds. I like the way it sounds. I like the way my point is addressed, but I would, I, I have friends who, who went through, who lived in Mexico and came here and went through an ESL, and they can do either one. Whatever one they feel like thinking in, that's the one they'll think in, but again, they were now in the United States, so they. I think it's whatever exposure you have, and if you want to, if you have some feelings towards the language that you're learning that you don't like it or it makes you feel uncomfortable like perhaps a four-year-old might have those feelings then that might have a blockage of, of the a language barrier that's not the actual language it's the feelings that go in. but that's my
0: experience okay so we have boon and then carol mm-hmm. well uh, i am uh,
5: i uh i have to say though numbers for me in Korean are very hard um, because I did come when I was five and um, I, like I said, I this went right into the American system. So um, I, I still count my fingers in Korean because I need to get the right order. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny because my mom would tell me a time and I, I double check with her in English because I have to make sure that I got the right one because the enunciation of the numbers are so close together. It's, it's so bad. It's like, um, you know, uh, three and four are so close together. It's like one letter off. And so it's just so hard for me to uh, distinguish it. But I remember um, I still dream in Korean and in English. um, But i probably because my parents don't speak English. But uh, you know, and everything that has to do with you know my life with my family has to be in Korean. But I remember my first time when I had a dream in French. And let me tell you something. It was like the most exciting time. (laughs) I was (laughs) like, again. Misunderstanding, misunderstanding, right there. (laughs) we (laughs) got
1: to know each other well.
5: No, it's really funny because um, I'm not saying that in that way. (laughs) But I remember because I was, uh, I I learned French for 12 years, and it was like, oh my gosh, how many verbs can I conjugate French can actually converse with somebody? And it was, I was in France, and all of a sudden I just, you know, woke up and like, oh my gosh, I'm actually dreaming in French. And it was just that, like I said, it was just so, it was a point, a point in my life. And I have to say that I really am sorry that I didn't keep up with it, because um, if I went back, I'm sure I'll be able to pick it up again, but let me tell you something, there's no one here that I could practice with, and you know, the dominant language is Spanish, so it's really hard, but um, I have to say, when I was younger, I had such a hard time. And I could feel that child's frustration when you were saying that little four-year-old. I mean, he would bite. I mean, uh, basically, I think it's a boy thing, you know, the physical aggression. Um, But I could be wrong because I know that my, um, the way I would take out my anger when I was a child and my memory could be so bad. But um, I remember throwing things and, you know, because I was just so frustrated because my parents couldn't understand me my teachers couldn't understand me and it was just, and when I started that code switching thing where I would have to say it in Korean, I, it was so bad. My sentence was, you know, I went to school and then I would switch into Korean and then switch back into English and it was just, and the teacher was looking at me going like this and my parents would be looking at me going like this, you know, because it's it's not the whole picture. And it, it's so funny And and now that I know this and I'm trying to express this knowledge to you know, other parents who have children and they're like, Oh well, my child doesn't need ESL. I'm like, Yes, your child needs ESL. You're only speaking them to your primary language, give them the English at school and that's fine and they can separate the two and that'll be okay. Continue with your primary language. Don't don't back off on it. But at the same time though, give them that exposure in school. You know, don't think that they're gonna get it right away because they're not, you know, release that, you know, don't give them that much stress. And it's it's unfortunate, but you know what, though, I have to say, and you know, I always tell my parents this, two languages like two people. Three languages, three people. Think about your work in the workplace when you actually get out there. mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. Carol? Um, I had
3: two things, and who and really just said what I was going to say, you know, as much as I think we all should learn another language. I think if a person, these kids that have another native language, that they should be building that, right with their English I mean that was just I wanted to get that little thought in and I, what Linda said i I just heard the other day on the radio somebody talking about a kid that wasn 't communicating at three or four and they were doing sign language again and I you know i've seen my niece doing that with her son under one she started this and and I think of my son who um, couldn't speak yet at three. We didn't realize he had a hearing problem until about that time. And if he would have had some sign language, how much it would have helped him. So um, that's another language, you
0: know. Sue. <laughs> well, I'm just sitting here thinking of my
4: own situation. I have a daughter who's about to be married in the fall, and she's marrying um, a man from a different culture who also came from Korea um, as a young child in second grade and went total immersion. Mm-hmm. And um, his parents, his father doesn't speak any English at all and his mother speaks some English. And the, the comments that we're getting from people are, are very interesting. Um, you know, not anything I, I expected in this day and age, but the question I've gotten quite a bit, you know, as people come to my house and see the pictures of him all over because I just adore him, um, is, oh, um, you know, what country from is he from? <clears throat> and then um, does he speak English? Does his family speak English? And they become very, many of them become very <coughs> upset to hear that his parents don't speak, his father doesn't speak English. and when they ask me, "Well, how long has he been here? Why doesn't he speak English? And I say, because he chooses to speak Korean. he He chooses. People seem to have a really hard time with that. And um, you know it'll be interesting to see. You know, they plan on having a family, and, and you know, my hope is that the children will spend a lot of time with his family, and will be, you know, full in both languages. But it wasn't wasn't something I really expected, and the, the animosity thing that comes up. Well, why not? My goodness, if he's been in that, how does he get along? Well? pretty darn well you can go past their house
0: sometimes.
2: I every year I have my kids who are in the EL program and also in mine and I always ask for them because I like the diversity. And every year I ask them for an extra credit for a quarter project to tell me what they've learned about being an American in American history and whether what they've learned and what they experienced and what they expected are at all the same. And so many of them, and they are my hardest workers. They work so hard to learn English. They, I mean, they, they, they are my hardest working students. And they tell me about how they're treated by people in this country because they have not yet mastered English. And some of them, haven't even been in the country for a year. But that makes absolutely no difference to so many people. And you know, it's like, well, my generation learned English when they came over. Yeah. Well, that's there's a fallacy in that because there's a lot of people's parents, first generation, who didn't learn the language. It was their children who grew up here who learned the language and they threw off their original language. And it's the third generation that then says, there's a value in knowing both. I want to be able to talk mm-hmm. to my grandparents. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're very mm-hmm. hypocritical in this country you know, in,
5: in terms of language, I think. And it's sad. I have a friend who's you know, 100% Polish. Both her parents are Polish. Um, and they spoke the secret language. They only spoke when they don't want the children to understand what was going on. And then she said, we have so many Polish immigrants right now coming into our school system, and if my parents had taught me Polish, <laughs> I think so be teaching them right now.
1: Yes. Okay, now I agree that people should be able to, to use their own language. However, I still have a question of when I'm teaching graduate school courses with students whose native language is other than English, and I get a paperback that looks like it's written by a third grader. Should they be expected to know the English language in a graduate program in the United States? Mm -hmm. I um, This is a personal story. And when I was going for my master's in reading,
5: my second class, um, the diagnosis class, this professor was, she picked on me, literally picked on me. and you all saw me and uh, talked to me and everything. And you, you know, you saw my written work and everything. And you know how I am about that. Um, and and this, ugh, this just upsets me every time I talk about it. But um, she told me my English sucked. and um, she didn't do it in a nice way either. She humiliated me. Okay, um, <coughs> and writing is the last thing to come. It is the last thing to come. Because it has to be practiced, even our children have to practice it. They have to practice, 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 practice writing. And if they don't have good models of writing practices, they're not going to be able to produce good writing. Because they don't have that. They have nothing to compare it to. And all they can go is by the uh, language that they have been hearing. And majority of times, colloquial language that we use in our spoken language is not what we want to see on our written language. And that's basically what their bases are on. she, I wrote like five case studies, plus six literature reviews, plus all this other stuff, and she wouldn't help me. I, I showed her my paper, and she looked at me, and she said, it's not long enough. At the end of the semester, I had a binder this thick with all my works and everything like that. I had it edited by a PA teacher, which is a gifted teacher in my district, who also had her master's in reading. And I had her edit it, I'm like, I'm so worried. I had her edit it, she read it, she's like, it's all good, no problem. I got a big F on that paper, this thick of binder, which is like, I thought it was 60% of my scores or something like that, you know? It was huge, huge thing, okay, an F. She called me afterward, I'm looking at my F during the class, okay? She gives it to us before the class starts. I'm looking at this going, I'm literally having a heart attack here. All right. And I'm looking at it, I'm going, I don't get it. I had it edited by a professional, master student, master graduate person, the whole bit, okay? And she wouldn't help me at all. She wouldn't look at my paper. She wouldn't, it was at the end of the, it was like a week before our final, before, and that was 60% of my score. And um, and afterwards, when she said, like, I'll talk to you after school about this, after class about this. I mean. Oh, the nerve of this lady! You know when I think about I just get ugh, and um, so I'm breaking down and I'm sobbing in front of her. I am like literally torn. My heart is breaking. I put so much work into this because I knew that it was going to be a hard class. I put a lot of effort into it. Six people after this class dropped out of the program. Um, Americans, you know, who uh, actually wrote, you know, English. And her comment to me was like, "I don't see the intelligence on this paper." I'm like. I don't understand where she's getting this from because it's like, you're not guiding me. You're not telling me what writing style you wanted. You're not, I give this to somebody who's a professional to edit it for me. So I'm explaining all this for her. And she's like, well, that person didn't do a good enough job then. I mean, she's really talking down to me. So basically what you need to do, and you need to encourage them to say that this is a master program level. Your writing is not up to par. Either offer to help them what style, give them an example. Show them them what you expect. Send them to the writing lab. Send them to the writing lab. Tell them that, you know, I'm sure you understand the information. I'm sure that you're able to convey the information. But in the written form, it's not being the standard of a master's program level. You need to communicate that because let me tell you something. If you slap down, it's a third grade piece of shit so excuse my language, which I did not say, right? <laughs> <laughs> that teaches nothing. That's right. And let me tell you something. Um, to this day, I have this love-hate relationship with that professor. And I'll never forget her name or who she was, but I remember everyone around me, there was me and all the white teachers. Every one of them was saying to me, she's picking on you. She's so picking on you. And I would just sit there and go, like my father said, just get the seat on Get to see and leave the class because I'm going to, it's, it's a bump in the road, and I even went to my advisor and I said to her, you know what, maybe I'm not smart enough, maybe I shouldn't be at the master's level, maybe I'm not good enough for this, and she told me absolutely not keep going, just, so it, it was just one of those things where I had to jump in the hurdle, and because of that, you know, I was able to improve on my writing skills, but she never gave me an example. She never showed me anything. Every other professor I went to, I immediately go up to them and I say, you know what, I might have a problem with my writing. The next professor in that class looked at me after my first paper and said, I don't understand what you're talking about. Your paper's fine. So it was just one of those things where that professor had it in for me. And not to say that you have it in for them, but I'm just saying that if you don't communicate communicate what you expect, what you are, what you want them to do, then they're not going to understand why they're not achieving where they're supposed to be at. And granted, writing is a last income. At a master's level, I do not, um, I do not think that it is um, unfair for you to expect that level of writing. But the thing is, they don't know that. They don't know that their writing is not up to par. They don't know that. Because all along, if they've been passed along, it's good enough, it's good enough, it's good enough, it's good enough, and they hit you, and they don't know that's bad. Where, where, where are they going to, you know, how is it going to get better if they do not have taught? And so that's why, I mean, I call Beth all the time about my writing, you know? I'm totally, I mean, very, very, It's it left a scar on me that will last me for the rest of my life. But I have to say, I thank her because we're looking at me right now, you know? So...
0: Oh, this is so emotional. <laughs> okay. So. Even if some people have comments, I think we'll make an executive decision to move on so we get everyone in. So uh, Sue, you will be next. OK, well, I don't believe this anymore, but I'll agree it
4: <laughs> <laughs> tell you what changed my mind. Initially, I went to my friend, Frary. Went back to his book. I've been thinking about him a lot during this class, and I'm very grateful that I had exposure to Frary in my last class. Um, So I wrote, individual learners determine what knowledge is of most worth within frameworks of cultural intelligence. And I agree with Freire's view of knowledge as a transformation of unique lived experiences, and those are his words. Knowledge, like curriculum, is fluid and subject to many internal and external forces, including development, politics, economics, and culture. Dispensation of knowledge through a one-size-fits-all, and in term, banking approach, interferes with the learner's freedom to construct meaningful knowledge and promotes, and this is another very cultural invasion. I love that term, cultural invasion. And I wrote that knowledge must be shared with respect and consideration of the needs of the learner as well as the needs of the teacher. And as knowledge is shared, it's worth to the teacher and the learner is naturally transformed. It's not that I don't believe that. I think that's important. However, events of the last week in my personal life have um, really led me to look at this question in a very different way. And I now concur with Mina. Um, the reason I wasn't here last week, and, and it was, and I'm ashamed to say it was as difficult as a decision as it was for me not to be here. It shouldn't have been as difficult as it was. My dad um, had heart surgery yesterday, and so at the very last minute, I just, I guess, Catholic guilt took over, and I decided I, I needed to go and see my dad, which was in itself. Um, an exploration of, you know, what is worthwhile in life. Um, and so I went out to see my dad. And so um, while I was there, I took, I took um, this wonderful book, Herbert Spencer's book, which Beth let me, and I'm, just, I'm intrigued by it, and I ordered a copy. Um, but while I was out there, I read on page um, 31, Spencer wrote knowledge which which serves direct self-preservation by preventing loss of health is of primary importance. Mm -hmm. And and it was ironic that I was where I was, experiencing what I experienced when I read that. Mm -hmm. And when I returned um, several days later, Ironically, I received a phone call from my son-in-law-to-be who told me of his mother's very recent diagnosis of cancer. Mm -hmm. So I now totally, totally believe that the knowledge of most worth is knowledge about our physical selves. Because without our health, what does it matter, what we know? It, it, it matters. Nothing. So I've had a little transformation.
5: <laughs> um, and that was
1: my point about what
5: knowledge is of most worth, of, of how it's intimate. Would you even have
1: noticed that passage in that book if you weren't where you were? No. No. And so that's what I mean when I say it's intimate. It's where you are
5: at that time and what like that meant so much to you to to see that passage. Yeah, it
4: it was one of those life-changing moments. But if you if that didn't happen to you, you would have never noticed that path, no. I would think. No because you wouldn't have
2: noticed no. that right, now that knowledge Peace has helped you maybe cope. You
4: know. Yeah. I'm kind of, you know, I think as a lot of us, the virtue of the fact that we are sitting in this class are pretty driven, purpose-driven people. Okay? I I suspect that I'm not the only one in here who kind of filters out stuff and pushes it back because, you know, you're you're on your track. Okay. And and this has really caused me. And when I, when I read it in here too, I thought, okay, it's, it's appropriate to think that way. And it's not, it's not an interference. It's real, valuable knowledge.
2: This semester I told a uh, "Bell quote," and I remember she mentioned about one thing is very important. Because she focused on the uh, engaged, uh, engaged pedagogy and she mentioned about teacher. The, if once a teacher, his own body, he, he, uh, once a teacher doesn't know how to treat his, his own body, how to feed his body, how to feel happy, how can she bring the Passing the message to a, to the engagement environment. Yeah. That's okay. Okay. The first thing be a teacher or anybody be a decent human being. You got to know how to take care of yourself. Then you you will know how to take care of others. Yeah.
6: When when you were talking the first time, when I written down um, about when you are talking about the human bodies, some of the things that I find disturbing the obesity rate in uh, the youth right now. I just read that the, I don't remember the exact ages, but this certain age group of elementary kids are going to live seven years less. They're gonna die at 70 instead of 77 or something like that. And I found that absolutely disturbing. Then also on the news, what was it, last year? sexual relationships that junior high students are having is absolutely disturbing and then the thing that stuck out for high school students is the binge drinking that's going on and it's that whole aspect of the human body they're not great we're teaching them all this stuff but how are they really learning if they're not healthy and so that's
3: special Uh,
0: i just i wanted to comment on an experience that i've had recently with uh, as well. I mean one of the one of the people who I think is most brilliant is that I've known is my old cooperating teacher that I'm like my student teaching with. I mean somebody I've kept in contact with for even the past seven years, still get together with him, still go over to his house every uh, Christmas and uh, for Christmas parties and stuff like that. But, uh, we would we'd go on field trips down to the city and he know like everything that happened in every corner and every mm-hmm. building that was built and you know I was just amazed just working with him for the short time that I was there but uh, two days ago I got a phone call from his wife that uh, he, had, he had a mass on his lungs and he's out of teaching for the rest of the year and he's pretty much going to be laid up in, in bed you know trying to recover the doctors think they got most of it they do believe it's malignant uh, that it's cancerous, but they think they they got all of it. Um, but it was because of poor health decisions that he made, you know, thirty years ago. He hasn't smoked for thirty some years, and you know, these I mean, thirty years later, these poor decisions he made, are to coming back. And so I think there is some sort of value in health bodily knowledge. And I really hadn't considered it until now.
3: I was just going to say I hope you all have better materials than the health textbooks that I had 10
1: and 15
3: years ago because um, that's not going to hit the point that we're trying to make. So. Yeah.
1: So I found, I found some poems in the printer, in the library. So it appears he had an assignment to write a various types of poetry. So his quatrain was, I really don't like dreadful school. All we do is come in and learn. I'd rather play in the pool. I think we should not have to go. And his tonka, am I pronouncing that correctly? Okay. Waiting for the bell, I really want to leave, please. The teachers teach skills, but I don't want to learn them. I'm free at last from this learning. So he had some other poetry on sports, so I think that's what he thinks of, the knowledge is of most worth. But personally, when I was writing my paragraph, I thought what's of most worth to me, and from my experience, it was what taught me to be a better person in society, which goes against what I was saying last week, but this is the things that carried through for me into my life now were classes that taught me um, how to care more for animals and people and the environment. Um, but then I followed what Craig had done a little bit and asked some students in the library what they thought knowledge was of most worth. I got some stupid answers like how to look out for number one, and then I got something, <laughs> some guy telling me that, well actually this was pretty good when He thought that the snippets or little facts that teachers told were what, what he thought was of most worth from the classes, those little side stories that carried through. And then, uh, but what somebody else thought, which I kind of adopted is my new belief is kind of to have high school where I am, like a college experience where you take some core courses and then you get to choose from that. So you might take one biology, one math or whatever, and then the rest you could focus all on science if that was your, your interest.
0: Any responses? Right. Uh, yeah, uh, along with what I had last week, uh, one of the things I had written down is exactly what you said, I thought that maybe one of the ways of getting across some of the ideas I had that the kids had said and that I thought were, was to make high school more like a college and the middle school model. Because high school, I think middle schools really do it right, and I think colleges do a lot of things right, and not to say high schools don't, but I thought if we could take on a few more of the collegiate things where you can kind of go into your own area of study, and you know, that independence they feel, but also the middle school model that the, the teachers are, are communicating with each other about students and they kind of can follow these students through their four years. Because I'll see a kid I had freshman year and they were, I, mean, I hear horror stories about what they're doing senior year and I'm like, oh jeez, I wish I had been able to you know, see that coming. Um, so anyway, I think that that's a good idea. I mean, I love it. Any other comments? OK. Moving on. So so we have two more. So Amy will be next and then Taha will be
7: last. I feel like I've said a lot of what I was feeling over the time. But what I've noticed is um, is making a trend that is popping out to me is the academic versus the non-academic. And I really feel like that non-academic piece has to be there and it can be there simultaneously with you know, whatever we choose or whatever the students are choosing is of most interest to them. I feel like um, through modeling and just through being a decent person in our classroom, the kids are gonna learn decency. By us treating people with respect, they're gonna start seeing that as well. You know, By giving those kids a hug when they really need it the most, they're gonna start learning love. I think a lot of it is just what comes naturally. Even if you don't have kids yet, um, it's just what comes natural to us that that mom and that dad nurturing kind of feeling. If you don't have it, just don't be a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) But I think for the most of us, the reason that we all of us in here have that, otherwise we wouldn't want to be with kids every single day. (laughs) Um, It's definitely a calling. And um, but on the academic side. I really feel, and I like that word, communication, too, because I feel like it encompasses a lot. But, I, I, you know, language to me is really important because, you know, she walked out, but has she not had reading skills? Could she have read that passage in the book that meant so much to her? And I just feel it's like a, it, it is the tool. It is the, the tool that's going to allow them to go out and, and explore and learn more about what they're most interested in. You know, I'm all for choice and, and you know, let, you know we, we all get to decide eventually what we want to do. So if we give it to them, that choice to them a little bit earlier, that's great, but they do need that essential foundation to go out and acquire that knowledge. And so whatever they determine is most important for them, at least we need to equip them with the tools that allow them to go and get it. Um, when I was teaching in Chicago, the biggest disadvantage that the kids had was that they couldn't access the information. It wasn't that it wasn't available. There were still public libraries. There were still schools with abundance of reading materials. They couldn't access it because they hadn't been properly given that tool at home. And so school was playing catch up with it all. You know, we were trying to teach the third grade curriculum, to kids who are functioning at kindergarten. And um, if, if, if only they had that tool. So I think, you know, we can give them that tool and a hug at the same time and, um, you know, just love them in pieces, oh, that way, get out. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> be a teacher like that one teacher, she just, and she is gone. Thank God, so,
0: yeah. Any responses? Jane? Okay. Um,
7: I sometimes get a little frustrated, like,
6: with um, talking, like, teacher talk in the lunchroom, at, I'm, from a, <laughs> I'm from a pretty less district, and sometimes when I hear some of the comments that teachers make, I'm just like, gosh, I, I'm like, sometimes I, don't, I feel like I could walk out and the kids could teach themselves because the kids have the tools. They know so much when they come in the door. I really have to challenge myself to challenge them because mm-hmm. I'd say half of my kids that I teach right now, they could learn it without me. So I totally understand what you're coming from, that if they have the tools, and you teach them how to use the tools, which these kids have been taught by the time I have them, then now my role is instead of, as you were in Chicago, giving them the tools, my job is to really challenge them to extend their use of those, new, those tools and find the information
4: themselves, and use it.
0: Any other comments? Okay. Last but not least, we all have Todd. <laughs> well, I, I don't think of anything that I've written at this point is a whole lot of new information. But uh, I mean, I said, as you know, being a history teacher, I said that you know, knowledge, the knowledge that's of most worth is sort of fluid, I mean, the knowledge that an individual would have needed back during the agricultural revolution would have been very different than the knowledge somebody would need today in order to survive in the 1200s or 1300s or 1800s. Um, so, I mean, it changes through time and the technology changes and that influences us. And I also felt it was culturally biased as well, depending upon where you were. Uh, where somebody who lived in rural Africa would probably have a very different need for knowledge than what we have here. Maybe one based more primarily on slash and burn farming or fishing or, or whatever. Um, and even here in the United States, I've heard of a similar experience that I have uh, with some of my in-laws who live out in South Dakota, actually, mm-hmm. um, who live about 45 minutes north of Sioux Falls and a little small community. I always love going there. We go to a local diner. And here, you get into restaurants, and you, know, you get your own individual tables. They just have one big table on it, comes in. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when I thought of when I went off to go to college and what myself and all my friends went into study, it was very different from what most of my relatives in South Dakota went off to study because they primarily went into agriculture. And I don't really have any friends, uh, you know, around here that went into agriculture when they went off to college. Joke that they're white collar farmers because they can tell you the hybrid of all the corn the that they have, the like chemicals that they're putting, and they do very little manual labor. I mean, it's all cow So, um, so I thought there was that cultural piece to it as well, and then I added that to try and answer the question here in our own little corner of the world. Much the same answers that were given. Uh, thought for around here. For me, it was probably something like the ability to acquire information. I mean, I don't have all the answers, and I'm never going to pretend to have all the answers, um, but I think that you should have the ability to find those answers if you have to. And then the ability to collaborate in groups and work with other people as well, as I've been Any comments? Responses?
6: Had one thing. The white collar farmer made me think of the white collar criminal. Is that where the, the when you have it in a jury, like, oh, it was just stealing money, but lots and lots of money versus somebody who stole a purse, who's gonna get, you know, who's judged more? That's what it made me think of. White collar, yeah. That's kind of interesting. That think of that. But the whole value thing I teach at a school where these people are gonna be business people. We should be teaching them values because. I just feel like there's a lot of, maybe just happens to be now the trials that are going on of white collar crimes.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, any other comments? Oh, I think we are done. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) anyone want to make any closing comments before we finish up, even though I know we're going to enter our reflections over there? Yes.
7: I'm just thankful for this opportunity because I feel like. um, I mean learned learning it's made me reflect on something that I think all I think all educators should have to sit in a circle <laughs> 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 follow these rules because it's very simple. <laughs> um, but I'm happy. I'm so thankful that you brought this to light in the